clearly the reception's been good and clearly I've been doing a good enough job of uh, dancing that about um, if, if, if it's uh, landed in your consciousness. So thank you for being aware. You're listening to Ear, Brain, Heart, an experiment in showing up. I'm Mark Stedman and I'm equal parts interested in the process and the squishy stuff behind creativity. Helping me dig into both is writer, performer and creative coach Paul McCauley. I was made aware of Paul's work by former Ear, Brain, Heart guest Francis Galasci and uh, instantly fell in love with his take on the one-handed sketch format that has become so popular on TikTok. You, You know the thing, one person plays two characters going back and forth and having a conversation. But Paul's work spans far, far beyond a few funny, albeit insightful, YouTube videos, which we talk about and you'll find linked in the show notes. When I chatted to him, he'd not long come off a run of dates at the Brighton Fringe Festival. So we got talking about his show, My Heart is a Spark. It's an autobiographical show about grief and loss. It sounds very heavy, but ultimately it's about hope and finding joy when life gives you lemons. How do you bounce back? And it's based on my experiences, a a period of my life where I lost my mother very suddenly and my relationship fell apart and it's all a bit of a descent into what's going on. And I was very interested about that process and finding a way to talk about that in uh, yeah in a way that sort of shared that and shared some of the i don't know the things that i felt and learned within that and my practice is i call myself a writer and a maker as a creative which is a, a, quite a catch-all descriptor which kind of captures the fact that everything i do seems to have a root in writing in some way even either as an end in itself or as a step along the way to performance, for example, like this show or I've written and directed theatre, done a bit of filmmaking and stuff like that. But that's that's what I've spent the last couple of months doing that show. And that's been a real pleasure because it's doing live performance, obviously, has been something that's not been an option for a, a couple of years. And it felt like a real return to doing something I love doing being in a room with people and also pleased with the quality of it and the fact that it feels very authentically my story and was a little bit scary to put out there in some ways but I feel like that's I've set, I feel like I, for myself set a new standard of oh that's how you show up when you make something so that feels exciting I I'm really I'm interested in how very quickly it seemed like having watched your YouTube stuff how very quickly your voice comes across. And I'm interested in like how that, does that translate into the theater space? And are you conscious of that? Like the way that you, uh, I guess it's it's a combination of the writing and your performance. And obviously when it comes to YouTube, there's a bit of editing as well there, but it seems like your voice comes across very quickly. It's like you, you can identify a, a Paul thing quite easily. Yeah, it's an interesting question. And I do think the experience I've had in creating work in other forms definitely and the lessons learned there definitely come have come through into this sort of nascent sort of emerging YouTubery that I'm involved in I, th- I think the, the foundation of it always is just drive towards authenticity and that's true in 
stuff I might create in terms of like theatre or whatever. It's what's really my story. What am I really interested? In? What if I was really brave and just threw caution to the wind and just said what I really thought and felt in the most compelling way I can find? So there's that. And I think like in terms of marketing or whatever, like uh, in terms of talking around creative practice, which is, I guess, what the, the YouTube thing is circling around. And that's what I'm interested in supporting people with in terms of my coaching offer, you know, work with creatives to create the work that they love to create. That authenticity thing feels like a necessary uh, part of it. I guess I, I, I realized a few things. I started the YouTube thing earlier this year and it, it felt like a, a, a steep learning curve. Mm. And so I, I, I kind of realized that very quickly it's like, oh, well, you know, I've been trying lots of different things in terms of like video making and seeing that, okay. I'll try a thing like they're doing over there. Oh, I did that. That does not feel right. That doesn't fit me. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, you know, that's a, one of the things that the whole idea of positioning myself as a general expert and talking about things in a very abstract way. It's like, I, I can't do that. I can't, it doesn't feel right. So there's something about rooting how I'm talking about it in my experience and in a way that actually feels meaningful or present for me if that makes sense and rooting it in story as well i feel like it's not just about i'm gonna sit here like none of them are i'm gonna sit here and and tell you what i think about a particular thing it's there is a narrative element whether it's the video that you recorded about sobriety or then the creative helpline stuff which i really want to get into the the story aspect i guess gives you the license then to almost step away and not have to position yourself as the expert but almost be able to perform in a very different way and to, to get the same expertise across, but not be a lecture. Yeah, that's, yeah, the narrative story. And, and I suppose everything that I've done has got some narrative. And, and I think in narrative terms, you know, I, I don't think necessarily visually so much as a story over time. And, you know, so that, that sort of conceit being the sort of cradle for being able to go, well, this is just how I see it and how I experience it. And I'm not saying this is what you should be thinking or how, how you should be feeling about something. And it's, it's that empathy, empathy piece, isn't it? And I really appreciated that quite a lot doing this show recently. Like, you know, I, I, I went very bold <laughs> towards being, t telling a very honest story in the sort of fullest way I could. And I was very mindful of like the show talking about universal things like grief and loss and everyone has or and will have their experience of that and it doesn't feel right to say this is what it is because everyone's going to have their own journey but you know what you can say is this is what happened for me and it's that thing isn't it like the more specific you are about your lived experience of something weirdly the more universal the resonance is for other people and other people can find themselves in that and there's also this thing about when you sort of really show up with authenticity and a willingness to talk about your experience and your perspective and how that feels, then there's something, it's an invitation, right? It's an invitation to people go, oh, okay. Yeah. Well you get it. I can relate to you and maybe trust you and, and, and that kind of thing. And also it, it neatly sidesteps the thing of the imposter syndrome thing. I'm not the foremost expert on anything, but I am 
the foremost expert on me. And your take on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And the bundle of stuff that I've gathered to figure out the problems that feel meaningful for me to solve. And that's irrefutable, isn't it? You know, if you find your ground and, and speak from there, then no one can say that's not true. And that's really liberating and quite empowering and, and, and a very confident place to speak from, especially when you you venture being brave to speak from that place and you see it lands with other people. You go, oh my God, that's the whole trick. I just do my bit and I'm honest about it. And then, and then there's something in it for other people. Honest, well. but also I think unselfish as well, because I, I want to get into some process specifically around the two Creatives Helpline videos, but there is a notable lack of a pitch <laughs> in, in, in both of those videos, which I appreciate a lot because we've gone to the same marketing school in some respects. So there's things there that, that we understand, but the, yeah, the fact that you can deliver value in what you're doing and be genuinely helpful, whether it's helping people understand about imposter syndrome or i mean the, the first one i saw which made me properly laugh out loud which no other sort of video of its kind has done is the one on productivity and to just for that to be the thing and to have the i don't know not necessarily the confidence but the openness the sense of abundance to sort of say and the people with whom that resonates most will find me and we can potentially work together i don't have to have a sales pitch at the end of it. Yeah, that's one of the things definitely I thought about a lot. And and I, and I suppose you and I are both interested in, you know, how do we talk about what we're trying to do and what we have that can help other people in a way that feels intrinsically valuable and is not just a step towards getting someone to <laughs> to sign up for something. Mm. And, and I think about that a lot. And I just think, I mean, I know for myself, right, if something's salesy, it just turns me off. Mm. You know, I, I'll find the thing when I'm ready to find the thing. So I think one important sort of criteria for making stuff <laughs> has got to be is, is intrinsically valuable. Mm -hmm. It's like it, it is worth something in its own right. And I do like the idea and, and you know, this is definitely sort of influenced by some of the input and thinking that, you know, we will have encountered through better, bolder, braver. But that whole idea of taking the long view of it is a, like a relationship. And, you know, the, the people I love to follow on like YouTube, like just show up and make good stuff. And then I trust them and they make mm -hmm. good stuff. And the other thing I realized, apart from it needing to be intrinsically valuable, is unless it's genuinely interesting for me to make mm. I, I can't i can't phone it in and, mm -hmm. I, and i sometimes wonder if this is a limitation because if i don't care i can't pretend otherwise that's the other side of the coin of authenticity though isn't it because if you're going to show up with authenticity then that also means those moments where if it doesn't feel authentic then you can't show up so i've actually had a pause from making videos for the last sort of six, eight weeks since I've been doing this show and that's taken up all of my sort of headspace and I'm ready to go back to it. And I know that I'm not going to go back to it in quite the same way. And I'm trying to sift, well, what is working and what is not and what do I want to try out next? One of the lessons I learned in this sort of uh, earlier part of the year was it is that thing. I've got to enjoy it. I've got to enjoy the process. There's something about being mindful of how what I'm creating has got an identifiable hook or way in that other people might value. But unless it's rooted in something that I'm feeling that I want to express or understand, then there's no point because 
it's just me making stuff to feed the machine. So actually, what one of the things I've landed on is that it's all part of my, like my creative practice, and it needs to be interesting to me because actually, what am I, you know, what am I? If you're engaged in working in a form and with the quality of, of way of working that's important to you, and the very act of you doing it models that's a possibility and gives, you know, you're showing up. You've created the thing that is the vehicle for you to be able to create and engage it in the way you want to. And I, I think people sniff authentic, inauthenticity out straight away, and it's just a real turn off. Plus you get bored, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right, let's do this process because the thing that really struck me is if we look at those Creators Helpline videos, I, and I think I think this is useful. It's not just me nerding out because I think there's some useful stuff here that wouldn't occur to many people. And I think it's something that you possibly learn from traditional media. So one of the things in my, in my uh, business, I'm always trying to help people understand is that when you're talking on mic, if you're in someone's ears, you refer to people in the singular. There's lots of reasons and all that stuff, but that's something that comes from old, the oldest of radio, almost right from the beginning is this understanding that you talk to a single person. So there are lots of things that yes, we're working in new media, but there are fundamental things that translate. And the thing that I noticed, which I was fascinated by, because one of the things I was like, I was trying to figure out, there is someone else who I know, who I'm connected with, who makes videos and what they're polished in terms of production quality, but lack, there's like an uncanny valley thing. And it's this, it's a similar kind of format where you're being two sides of a conversation and recording both sides but the thing that I figured out when I was trying to go, why do I connect with Paul's videos and not the, these other ones? And part of it is very much the writing and the performance. That makes, a, that makes a big difference. But there's also the simplest thing in the world is that you signaled that you were talking to another person in another location simply by putting on a pair of earbuds and that the other person on the other end of the call is also doing the same that is the thing that, that it's that understanding of you have to justify the conversation. Otherwise the brain is sitting there. It's not able to fully connect because it can't understand how the thing is possible. And so you can never quite settle. Does that make sense? And is that something that was conscious? Do you know what? I, I think it came out of a conversation I had uh, with Laura Muggridge, who directed uh, My Heart as a Spark. I, I messaged her about something and she said, thank you for calling creative support or something like that. And I thought, well, that's interesting. You know, what if there was a number that you could call when you're having a meltdown in whatever way that was? So, yeah, I mean, that's it's like a, a simple conceit. And, you know, there are things I sort of watch on online. I really love Julie Nolke. I don't know if you've ever watched her. She blew up during the pandemic. And I think it's built into what she does. She does lots of skits sketches and uh, one of the things that uh, she did a video during the pandemic where she explained the pandemic to her past self who hadn't encountered it yet and it was just this tension of like oh you don't know what's coming down anyway but she comes up with these wonderful conceits for like how you would have someone speaking and it's just a leap of it's just a simple leap of lo logic or it's just that suspension of disbelief yeah it's the same person but actually one's a time traveler or actually one's her reflection or yeah it's just that simple kind of thing there are so many especially with video there are so many cues and so many things that uh moving parts is one reason i <laughs> i guess i do podcasting rather than videos and so many chances to 
stumble and 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 hit your head on the uncanny valley <laughs> um <laughs> you know especially when you're you're sort of making making these videos and having those kinds of conversations with yourself and trying to set these things up because it, it's like uh, i used to listen to um the nerdist podcast and one of the things that i remember people saying is like talking about films it's a wonder anything gets made it's a it's a wonder anything goes out because of the amount of things that have to be right for something to work, the amount of the different pieces, not even talking about the quality, but just all these weird little pieces because it's so often that we can just look at something and go, no, that hasn't quite worked. And it's <laughs> like, how do you just make it and hope? Or are you like looking for things and, and sort of analyzing and thinking that doesn't quite connect? Because it, it feels to me very hard to notice that in your own work. And then suddenly it goes out and you go, I don't know why, but that, joke didn't land or whatever yeah i suppose there's always things just in, in terms of actual practical process so when i was doing this i committed myself to i'm going to make a video a week so there's just something about the momentum of it needs to go out whatever is, is you know and actually i'm going to learn more from putting stuff out regularly than i am trying to perfect this one thing so there's something about that and just accepting that it's not going to be perfect and there's going to be a gap or whatever but then in terms of the you know making that video okay where well, there's there's me having a conversation with myself like how to make it whole and sort of coherent like the way i think about it it, it is quite a simple oh, i realize it's quite a simple setup you've got this you know the creative helpline person who's really grounded and has got a particular point of view which is quite evolved and calming and they're there to help and then you've got this other person who's the sort of manifestation of an untamed emotional response to some situation whether it's paranoia or sort of productive mania or something and they have a problem and it's as a one act story, it's they're going to cut phone up. And then how is that going to be resolved? Recognizing that it's uh, what you think is that whole, the storytelling thing of what a character wants versus what a character needs. They think they want something, but actually they, what they really need is something else. And there's something kind of fun in the concept that they miss the point completely by the end of it. I think that's part of the gag. So there's all, there's already that, that, that sort of um, container, I guess, in terms of A to B and then what's the journey. And I think in terms of the actual process, my, my thought was, okay, the person who's phoning up is driving the scene. They're the one who is instigating it. So that's the performance has to come first because they're pursuing something. So that is what I do first because that's the that's the charge or that's the emotional thing that's driving it through. I have a bullet point script of all that they'll present the symptoms, it'll be diagnosed by the person, then they'll explore a solution and you know then they'll miss a point completely. It's roughly that. So yeah, with that sort of structure in mind and the sort of the emotional drive of the person calling in being the sort of first performance, then yeah, record that and think, you know, emotionally, you know. You know, it's it's really good. It's such a fun invitation to play at home on my own in my flat when my girlfriend's out <laughs> to to go. All right, what's the most paranoid thing I could do, or what would you know that kind of thing? And then watching that performance back in order to sort of go, oh, okay, well, what would be an interesting way to react to what came up there? It's structured, but it's also like trying to find a way to riff off the thing you just did half an hour ago. And in terms of like, you know, you mentioned like. The earphone props and stuff like that it's kind of i suppose it's like theater right mm. or doing like fringe or very stripped back theater it's no you've got two chairs and two actors and you can afford <laughs> you know one prop what's the prop 
what's the thing that's going to say, oh, this is this. So there's something about an economy of um, your decisions going, if you only got one thing, what sells the idea that they're, I don't know, trying to get fit at the same time? Well, it's a dumbbell. I'm oh, sorry, I've got one of those in the garage. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, you know. so yeah, yeah there, there's that thing. I'm, I'm trying to sort of find things that are, when I talk about process, things that are things we can pass down, but there's some stuff there that is much harder to teach. And I say that actually, and I wonder if it's something you can or do teach about timing and about the actual, the art that goes into this stuff as well. If I think about some of those aspects of the conversation, there's the performative elements, but then also, you know, you're going on this run in the imposter syndrome video. God, I sound like a weird, crazy fanboy, but you know, we'll have to just get over that and just move past it. You go... Going through this run of different people's names and you, the person, uh, the helpline helper is sort of just reacting to each one and say, yes, they've got it. Yes, they've got it. That sort of that, that rhythm has to, I just, I guess, just come from years of experience and years of writing. Is there stuff around that, that in your coaching that you help with? Or I guess a better question, perhaps I could cut all of that question down to a much simpler one is <laughs> tell me about your creative coaching practice. Oh God! <laughs> um, God. Well, um, yeah, that's interesting. That's, I suppose, the, the what is that? How to craft a story? Maybe that sort of part mm. of it. I think some of the principles of how to shape a story track over from live performance into editing because you're making the same decisions. Really, it's like. Mm. You know, what are the rhythms here? Is this sort of, uh, is this like really lyrical or is it like really frenetic and staccato? And how do you change it up? Because that's part of the dynamics of a story, isn't it? If it, if it was all just sort of unspooling gently all the time, you get bored. You need to go on a, I'm doing a sound uh, <laughs> wave slash roller coaster wavy hand shape. Now, there's got to be a dynamic range. At it. it's, it's the same with music, the build up, the breakdown and all of that. So there's that part of it. And there's also this thing of we're all such well-trained consumers of media, whatever your thing is, if it is visual narrative media, like television or it's podcasts and stuff, or if it's music. And I think the simple measure of, is this keeping my attention? I think that's a really good place to start. You know, am I getting bored? Because if I'm getting bored, chances are someone else's. So there's uh, certainly for me, there's a thing of oh, on to the next thing, let's change it up and, uh, trying to anticipate this is what people might expect next and just sort of undercutting that slightly. And do I coach around that? No, I don't. Maybe I should, Mark. Maybe I should develop a product. <laughs> uh, um, I mean, I suppose my coaching practice, I've kind um, to date, I've worked with writers, some visual artists and performers. So I think people who are dealing with narrative and are trying to create an, a narrative in some way, the people I work with have a need to want to create something that feels a little bit out of reach in some way that their practice has stalled or it doesn't feel alive to them in the same way anymore or they have a feeling i need to do something with this but i i can't, can't give it some form and sometimes then what we might work on together is developing a narrative and an idea and finding that and rooting that in what they're interested to explore and say and that might it could draw on some of what I can bring in terms of uh, writing and creating story and has done in the past, but not all the time. Sometimes it's it's more about the practice of what I'm actually as a creative showing up to do and how am I step by step realizing the thing that I want to do and how am I doing that in a way 
that's congruent with what matters to me and the context that my creativity is sitting in my life um, and my, my own measure of what success is and what I want to be learning and a whole sort of thriving as a creative and a person. So this is Paul, and uh, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, what, what is some of this weird process stuff you're talking about? It is definitely worth checking out the, the videos that are linked in the show notes, just because I was fascinated having watched them. Like I, I talked about in the interview, uh, or the, in, in our discussion, this thing about justifying a scene. And, and I think if we'd have had longer, you know, we I, I might have dug even even deeper into it. But it's it's one of those things where I think sometimes there's a bit of my brain that perhaps gets fascinated by a thing that other people are just like, I, I, I don't know, I just, I just did this thing because it made sense. Um, but it, it comes off the back of seeing, you know, lots of people are trying to do these kinds of marketing videos, right? Lots of people are trying to do fun, interesting, quirky, memorable videos to, in some way, tell the world, I've got some stuff going on and I can help you, right? It's, it's not necessarily sales in that in that sense, but it is about saying, I know a few things and and I can I can help. And you know, I, I talked about appreciating the the subtlety of that message, but also there there's certain care taken to justify the world that he creates that yes, it sounds like over uh, over analysis, right? But it's the kind of stuff that actually allows you to connect with the material rather than it just be something that you scroll past and give a an aimless like to. It's the kind of stuff that you actually engage with and and, and that actually sparks interesting and, and perhaps worthwhile conversations. That's why I kind of I'm I'm belaboring potentially this point about making if you're if you're doing something a bit more creative and a bit more fun and a bit more performative, justifying the decisions you make so that if, for example, you've got two people speaking to each other and you're playing both parts that you understand that they're either in the same place uh, or if they're not, then you can understand how they're communicating to each other. That's really, that's the thing. And so again, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there because I'm sure you get the point by now, but I, I find it fascinating, that kind of stuff, uh, because there's so much uncanny valley in there. So that's that's that. Listen, uh, we've got we've still more conversation uh, with Paul to get to. We t- um, so we'll, we'll talk about that uh, in, in just a tick. Um, if you want more episodes uh, of Ear, Brain, Heart, you can find them all at earbrainheart.com. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me, I am somewhat, as we talk a little bit at the end of, of my discussion today with Paul, in somewhat of transition at the moment. Um, the brand that, that I was operating under uh, previously as is is now being sunsetted and uh, I'm now sort of I'm I'm no longer a man in search of a brand I'm actually just being myself and, and trying to communicate as myself and, and let that be the thing um so uh, while I'm still producing podcasts for people and that's what I do uh, I'm also uh, some, sitting somewhere between the work that Paul does and the work that uh, a chap called Josh Spector does um around helping specifically digital creatives with that squishy stuff that I talked about. So we'll get more into that in, in upcoming episodes. So we've got, uh, we've got a few coming up. We've got uh, next week is Sophie Turton who runs a company called the joyful. And, and that was a, a fantastic conversation. Uh, so I look forward to you uh, hearing that. If uh, you do want to subscribe, if you uh, want to get future episodes, if you are not already following the podcast, then again, you'll find all the details at earbrainheart.com. 
Okay then, so let us head back into our discussion with Paul. We talked a little bit more about his show, My Heart is a Spark, but also specifically about collaborating, in his case, with a director. The, the show is an interesting thing. It felt new and exciting and challenging to me because it was overtly autobiographical in a way that other things I've made aren't. And also, it was a story that necessarily would have to be performed by me. It's not something I could give to someone else to perform or it didn't feel right to do that. And that's what excited me about it. And the third part of what was exciting to me about developing the idea is like I wanted to move away in terms of my writing practice from conceiving and developing an idea at the keyboard, sat down, head to keys. And I wanted to involve, because it's performance, more of an embodied thing. I wanted to find other ways of ideating and finding ideas. I really want to sort of liberate myself to feel like I've got the, the run of some space in a workshop to, it's not just about me at a writing desk. That was all good. So my, my vision was, okay, brilliant. I'll find a collaborator. I'll get into a room with them. It'll be really emergent. We'll find stuff. Lockdown happened. It's just me on my own in my flat. <laughs> so that kind of derailed my hopes for that, at least initially. And I managed to find people I could work with online in terms of like a dramaturg to shape the story. But also like for myself, like I was like, if it's just me on my own, I'll do the stuff. I'll talk to myself. I'll perform. I'll draw on the walls. I'll listen to music. I'll do all that stuff in the room to help me find the ideas that by the end of lockdown has netted a script so the story was there and i guess what i knew i needed from a director is someone who could safely hold the space for me to find the performance of it and and, and shape it someone because of the sort of sensitivity around some of the material it's like i need to trust this person so that was something i was looking for and then also the show features lots of audience participation. So I wanted someone who got that and could, again, how do we safely take people on this journey and bring them into that in a way that sort of honours their contribution and creates a real sort of sense of connection over the course of the uh, of the show? I mean, one of the gifts of lockdown was all the Zoom networking that was happening. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, and, and I, that's where I ran into um uh, Laura Mugridge, who is a theatre maker and a director outside eye. She works with people, principally people who develop autobiographical theatre to create their show, you know, really. Their show. And she's so good at making that safe and fun and enjoyable. And I just, as soon as we were talking, it was like, well, I've got this thing. And it, well, I could imagine it, just being in a room with her doing you know, working on it would be fun. Uh, as she as she recounts it, she thought that I was too cool to work for her to work with, and I thought she was too cool for me to work with. And it turned out neither of us were too cool. So I did a few sort of scratch performances, so like work in progress, sharings and stuff like that, and tried to learn from that. The show has that sort of audience uh, participation bit, and there's also a conceit in the show where I have <laughs> it's riffing on the same thing as some of the YouTube stuff where I play other characters but it's it, as audio that I, and so i have that i trigger myself as part of the performance and i'm interacting with that so, that's got to be hard i've seen that <laughs> when it goes wrong um because again i'm obsessed with process i years sorry i have to tell you years yeah. and years and years ago there was like an anti-drugs thing like a, a, a theater group came to our school and they did their piece on on drug, drugs is bad. And they did a segment where it was someone sat at a desk and they were obviously doing a radio show. 
and they had the other caller on probably would have been cassette at that point and the person on stage wildly misjudged the gap where they had to speak and so there was just about 10 seconds of absolute silence oh, while he'd no. finished speaking yeah and then the the caller came in and it's just oh it's it when it works it's beautiful and it's seamless but it's just oh it's such a but shame he, when it doesn't i know it is it is that higher wire act yeah mm. that thing of yeah because when it really works it feels like oh they're hearing the words for the first time and that's like a you know what yes but if it's not it just Football. It's really interesting challenge, and also it's this thing of it does go back to the YouTube thing, and or or anything that you're creating, I suppose, where you are the sole voice or you're the sole creator. You know, there are all kinds of conceits and ways of bringing in other perspectives, and I think that's for example going maybe full circle back around to those YouTube things. It's like what a great way to liberate yourself to show up for two sides of an idea you're not like having to walk some middle ground you can fully occupy that dimension and that mm. dimension and really commit to those and i think that is a demonstration it's that empathy thing it's oh it's like this and it's also like this and it's also like this at the same time and that's what we're dealing with and i think there's yeah it's fun because we all, all occupy those extremes around how we think about certain things or feel about certain things don't we like oscillate wildly between all these different things. I think it's just a truism of what that internal experience is like, maybe. So what is next for Paul? Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, well, that's interesting. And, you know, it's kind of, um, it's it's lovely to be up in this chat with you, you today because I feel like it's a bit of a, I don't know if it's a pause or a, a big end of one phase, beginning of, of a new phase. Lots of things. I mean, definitely going back to the YouTube thing in a new way. And I've now got more time for coaching. So I'm looking to sort of connect with people around that. So that's going to be giving getting a bit of my attention. The response to the show has been really good. And I want to find the next step for that. And there's a few things floating around. Definitely go to do some other dates and explore some options maybe it's a, a rural touring thing or something but yeah so having a conversation with laura over the next few weeks about what that is and i've also got a novel that i'm working on want to develop this sort of really been on the back burner for a long time so revisiting that at some point but yeah i'm feeling quite inspired actually um yeah quite sort of inspired i am feeling inspired. <laughs> I'm, okay, I'm feeling inspired, Mark. 